We are live. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Haley Wooden. I'm a reporter at Business in Vancouver and co-host of BIV Today, our BIV Daily Business Podcast. Now, today we have a very special episode. I'm joined by two guests who have generously donated their time to join me today to discuss and debate electoral reform, specifically, though, from an economic and business standpoint. Now, without further ado, I'd like to introduce my two guests. Today, I have seated right next to me, Suzanne Anton. She's BC's former Attorney General and Minister of Justice. She's a director of the No BC Proportional Representation Society and has served as Minister for Public Safety, Emergency Management and Liquor Policy while representing Vancouver Fraserview as an MLA. Welcome. Thank you very much. I'm also joined by Maria Dobrinskaya. She is the spokesperson for Vote PRBC, the yes side in favor of proportional representation in our province. She's also the BC director of the Broadbent Institute and a regular media commentator on municipal and provincial politics. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having us. So that we could have a, a nice friendly discussion about electoral reform, as I mentioned, from a business perspective. I'm going to provide each of you an opportunity to allow some introductory remarks and then I'll ask some questions and then we'll get into a bit more of a debate style discussion here today. So without further ado, uh, Marie, I'd like to start with you. Why do you think the system you, you support, proportional representation, is the best for British Columbia, our economy, and for British Columbians? Thank you. Well, 85% um, uh, of OECD countries use some form of proportional representation, so it's the most commonly uh, used electoral system um, amongst democracies in the world. And, and we see a variety of economic um, uh, indicators in, in a number of pro-rep countries that, that are, are very positive. Um, one of the key things I think that pro-rep does deliver uh, that's very important to, to business, to stable investment climate, is um, broad-based uh, policy, uh, support, broad-based support for policy in a very stable um, uh, investment climate. Basically, when, when you have uh, coalition governments, when you have governments that need to uh, develop policy by consensus, um, it, it sometimes takes longer, absolutely, but what they're, what they're able to do is provide, um, again, broad-based, support, well-supported policies, um, which differs from what we see under first-past-the-post when you have governments come in of different ideological um, uh, leanings and undo the, the work of the previous government in what's called policy lurch. And that can often throw, um, throw businesses, throw investors um, off. We've seen a number of examples of that um, recently in Ontario and, and certainly even here in BC, um, looking at the pipeline and, and other situations. Thank you very much for that. Now, Suzanne, why do you think the current system that we have in British Columbia is best for our economy and for British Columbians? Well, I will say, first of all, I, I really fundamentally disagree with Maria's interpretation of where proportional representation would take us. But there's, there's three main focuses that I have. One is the, the direct cost of government, the MLAs. Second is the cost of government overall as a portion of our um, uh, gross domestic product. And third is the instability of countries that have proportional representation. All of those things are bad for business. And I can summarize it in three words, taxes, taxes, and taxes. Everything costs more money under proportional representation. So first of all, in terms of the direct cost of government in Victoria, the MLAs, 
If we were to go to mixed member proportional, which is the one the Premier is promoting, you get rid of some of the hard-working local MLAs who do hard-working local constituency work. They are non-partisan representatives of their constituencies, and particularly in this case, uh, the small businesses in their ridings, who they can come and see them and bring their issues and problems and difficulties. They don't care. That MLA doesn't care how you voted. You are their constituent. So you're going to ditch some of those and you're going to replace them by people who are party representatives because you have to feed people in, right, to achieve proportionality. What's the job of those, proportion, those proportional MLAs? They don't have a job. So you're going to be wasting all kinds of money on people that you don't need and have no discernible purpose. That's number one. Number two, under proportional representation, governments cost a lot more of public spending, way more public spending under proportional representation governments. Who pays that? Taxpayers. And people love turning to businesses for more taxes. And so that costs businesses a lot of money. And thirdly, it's the instability. Proportional representation countries, all of them, have way more political parties and far more coalition governments. And to this, for this, we have to look around the world. You can't just say, oh, in theory, everybody's going to work together. It'll be so nice, because it doesn't work. You can look at Sweden right now. Sweden had an election on September 9th, more than two months ago. They've got a whole bunch of parties. They cannot agree, and it looks like they're going to have to have a new election. We don't need to bring that kind of instability in British Columbia. And I'll just give one example in BC right now that everybody is very familiar with, and that's LNG. Huge investment in British Columbia. If we didn't have a functioning government in place right now, that project could not go ahead. You need regulations built for the new, you know, for new things like that. Permits get issued by staff, but you need a lot of ministerial support. You you need regulatory support. You need a functioning government. If you're having somebody investing billions and billions of dollars in your province, they cannot do it if there's no functioning government. So in proportional representation, we're inviting a system where governments have a very tough time forming because they're coalition governments and they don't work. Look around the world and you will see every PR country, they're having difficulties. There is no reason to invite that into British Columbia. It will be very bad for business. Now, uh, Maria, did you, did you want to counter? I'll let you ask your next question, it'll come up. Okay, yeah, I'm sure a lot yeah, of the, yeah, the things no, that we're sorry. talking about will come up throughout our discussion. But, Suzanne, I'll stick with you and then go back to Maria. You, you mentioned perhaps some of the risks you see with proportional representation, but I'm curious to get your take on what the benefits are to small businesses of staying with the system we have. We have a fundamental system of accountability right now. So the, your representative is accountable to you. Your government is accountable to you. If you don't like what the government is doing, you can get rid of them. I was elected as a BC Liberal. By the way, our, our society our no, is a nonpartisan one, and my partner, Bill Tillman, is an NDP guy. So we're very nonpartisan. But I'll just use myself as an example. People got tired of the Liberals. That's a fundamental accountability. They wanted a new government. They got a new government. Premier Horgan is now, now um, his forming government. He, will, he too will face the voters in a couple of years' time. If people approve of what he does, he stays. And if they don't like it, out he goes. You lose that accountability under proportional representation because if you have a coalition government, all this lovely consensual policy making, and actually the voters hate it, who's responsible? 
That is the worst part of proportional representation, is you lose that fundamental accountability which we have now, the individual accountability of MLAs and the collective accountability of government. Maria, perhaps you can touch on that piece of accountability in your response to this, but the same question to you. What do you think the benefits are to small businesses of moving toward a proportional representation system? Well, I actually think it will be more responsive and they're likely to have, um, again, a policy that is longer lasting and more stable. I want to go to Suzanne's point, though, around looking around the world, because I actually think if you look at the data around the world and you look at academic research, um, nine of the ten of the top economic performers in the OECD right now um, with the highest GDP per capita use, use proportional representation. Uh, average corporate tax rates in pro-rep countries in 2017 was lower than first past the post, 22.9% for pro-rep versus 27%. Um, when we look at free trade in a study of 147 countries over 23 years, uh, winner-take-all systems, first past the post, um, have higher tariffs and proportional systems. So again, looking at the economic performance of proportional representation systems, I think there's a lot of fear that's being um, built in that's not, that's not actually um, representative of what's going on throughout the world. In terms of responsiveness and accountability, um, you know, I really, I really have a different uh, uh, perspective around how accountable our MLAs are right now. This notion that we elect individuals who then go and then represent all the, the constituents in the riding. I think from a service perspective, absolutely MLAs do that. They provide constituents with service and, the, and, and are a conduit to accessing um, different aspects of government. But you can't vote, vote two ways on one issue. So when you, when you have an MLA in the legislature that is fundamentally um, bringing values that are fundamentally different from ones you hold, um, there is no mechanism outside of four years to, to, to have some, some say. One of the things that ProRep does do is it ensures that government will, that all regions of the province will be represented in government, which I think is really important. So you may be, you'll have geographic representation, you'll have values aligned representation. But for when, depending on what business we're talking about, um, if we're looking at businesses in rural BC versus businesses in the lower mainland, they're going to have different ideas of what they need in their home communities. And I think ensuring that there are representatives from government from throughout the province is something that's really important um, for, for small business and for that accountability piece. What do you think, Suzanne? Will it be more difficult, easier, more beneficial under which system for businesses to have a voice and industry leaders to have a voice? There is no question that you need to have somebody in charge. That's the advantage of our majoritarian system that we have right now. You have a government, which is was the BC Liberals before, it's the NDP now. People know who to go to when they need a direct government response. But the way to that government response, if you're for small businesses in particular, um, is to go through their local MLA. Their local, local MLA. Their local MLA will be advocating for them. Maria says we'll still have some. We will still have some, but we're going to get rid of a whole bunch of them, um, and we're going to replace them. We're going to replace them with party MLAs who have no, as I said, no discernible function, just a bunch of cost, and no, and they're just there to be their party representatives. I mean, you might as well just give their you might as well just give their leader more votes rather than putting those extra bodies in place. But in terms of Maria's statistics, I, I just think there's there's so let's talk about British Columbia. Let's not talk about studies of multiple countries around the world. Let's talk about British Columbia. We are not solving 
an economic problem in British Columbia with proportional representation. We are causing problems, not solving them. BC is is um, on surplus budgets now for five years in a row. We're in, we're, uh, our economy is booming. We have almost no unemployment. We've got the best employment rate in the country. We are everything is good in BC. There are there are of and course there are of course issues for people, individual uh, individual issues and collective issues. No question about that. But to have a good, well-functioning government helps you resolve those issues. That's what we have now. Let's not invite those problems from around the world, those problems of instability, problems of extremism, which I haven't even come to yet. Let's not invite those problems into British Columbia. There is no need. There's no economic problem that we're solving in British Columbia by proportional representation. So I'm happy to hear you say that you don't want to look uh, around the world because that's something that your 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 team regularly points to around um, the, the fear that we're supposed to have about proportional representation. But I think when we're talking about BC, which I'm happy to do because I agree um, it's important to look at what our situation is here, um, there are broad-based policies that are needed to actually drive economic growth, particularly in the city of Vancouver, that we have not seen, um, namely affordability and housing. And so the ability for businesses, and particularly tech startups and businesses that are growing to secure employ employees in, in, in one of the most expensive cities in the world to live, um, is, is a challenge. It's an obstacle to business. We've heard this from Hootsuite. We've heard this from a number of, of business owners. So I think that when you have, again, I believe that we, we should have stable, responsive government. I actually, what I'm, what I'm arguing is that proportional representation, coalition majority governments under proportional representation would provide that in a way that we don't currently have now and would ensure that there are, again, broad-based policies implemented that support the majority of British Columbians that provide stability and investor confidence in a way that we don't currently have. Going back to the pipeline, the pipeline is a classic example of um, policy lurch. Now, whether you support it or don't, there's no question that the previous government's commitments to it, the current government's um, opposition to it, the, the, the change in, in position um, federally around the National Energy Board, these are all things that provide incredible amounts of confusion for investors. In Ontario, with Doug Ford's government, it's, it's estimated to cost about $3 billion um, in policy lurch. And for him undoing uh, a bunch of, of environmental initiatives around cap and trade in particular, green energy investors ready to go, in the, you know, invested in that province a year ago, ready to go, were basically had the rug um, yanked out from under them when that government came in. That's not a climate that provides confidence to anybody. Do you think a system of proportional representation can better enable government to tackle very controversial issues like the pipeline? I think it better enables government to um, have hard conversations at the front end and to find consensus going in so that what you get is, a, is less of the polarization and that once you have government commitment to big to big big projects, um, they're, they're stable. They're not, they're, they're less likely to face the uncertainty of a swing in government. One of the things that First Past the Post does is it enables a very small number of voters to have a very large impact on an electoral outcome. 200 people in Courtney Comox in the last election essentially determined the outcome. With proportional representation, a small change in votes does not yield a big change in, um, in, in the composition of government. So we have a more accurate reflection 
of where the electorate is at. You know, in Ontario, going back to Ontario, I think is a good example. Going from the the Davis government to the Ray government to the Harris government in less than a decade, representing a very dramatic ideological shift that was not representative of a dramatic shift in the electorate. The will of the electorate did not shift that dramatically, but what we saw in government was quite a, 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 an extreme swing. And those swings would be lessened under proportional representation. Suzanne, why would you argue then that we have the best system now in place to tackle, again, very polarizing, controversial issues? So a couple of things. So there's a whole bunch of stuff that Maria said in there, most of which I fundamentally disagree with. First of all, listen to the undemocratic part of her message. Ontario was facing massive deficits, and when and they're counting the numbers right now. And I, I don't want to go too deep into Ontario politics, but there's a massive 14 billion dollar, I think, if I'm reading it right, deficit. The voters were fed up with that, and they voted in a change of government. Percent of the voters. They voted in a change of government. So, so I guess Maria would have liked to have had a coalition of NDP and Liberals in Ontario who would keep up that stuff that the voters hated. No, don't for, don't forget, right right now we have. In British Columbia, I don't know how many they have in Ontario, but we have 87 separate elections. And it is the collective vote in those 87 elections that puts 87 people into Victoria that determines who forms government. So in Ontario, same thing. And the Ontario Progressive Conservatives got most of the votes. Do you not think that voters were entitled as a matter of their democratic rights to change government when they hated what the previous Absolutely. government was doing? And I think that that's what the PR people are arguing against. They have that? this. That's no, just hold on. Hold on. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. You can have your chance in a moment. The PR people are saying. Oh no, it'll all be sweetness and light and government knows best and don't worry. So we'll, we'll never, you'll never worry. We'll always make perfect decisions and you, the voters, will never be able to change our government. That is a very undemocratic message on her first point. On the second point around looking around the world and those, those meta statistics that academics, academics love proportional representation. And Jean Chrétien had a great quote for that. He says, academics love proportional representation because they want to get on those party lists so they never have to knock on doors and they never have to do the hard work that those of us who've been in the trenches in Jean politics uh, under, yes, and, and he a, has a great quote. Uh, academics love it. So all those academic studies, let's look in practice. In practice, in British Columbia, things are very good. As I said a moment ago, we are not solving any problems by changing our form of government. And in practice, if you look around those OECD countries that Maria loves to talk about, you look at where they are all right now, they are all unstable governments. Um, and they have, um, and they have very difficult time forming government. Sweden has a difficult time forming government. None of those things are good for taxpayers. They are not good for businesses, and they are not good for British Columbia. Okay, thank you, Maria. I'd like to give you a chance to respond. Yeah, to I mean, just the, I think that one of the the distinctions, like I'm, to be called undemocratic, I actually take. Uh, offense too. I think the distinction around, I think voters absolutely should have their say. What I think though is that voters say should be accurately reflected in the composition of the legislature. So if, so, and 40%, 37%, 38%, 40% of voters being able to determine what then becomes 100% of the legislative agenda, I do think is fundamentally unfair. I think we should have 50% or higher we should have majority governments and we should ensure that governments that are true majorities are enacting um, policies that are actually reflective of the will of the electorate. So I don't, I don't think that a government that's elected with less than 50% in a democratic system 
is actually enacting policy that's reflective of the will of the of the majority of the electorate and that's the, the that's the distinction i think that 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 we're making is is a majority single party majority with less than 50 percent of the electorate support okay these guys say yes i i just i don't agree with that i think that the m more people's voices need to be represented in the legislature than currently are so it's a fundamental disagreement in the form of government to the proportional representation people, the only entity that matters is political parties. There's actually one province-wide vote for political parties that matters, and that determines the composition of the legislature. So by the way, if you live anywhere in rural BC and you're watching this, forget your few little votes in your town because it's going to be dominated right here in the lower mainland. We will determine the composition of the legislature for the rest of the province. Absolutely, it's a province-wide vote that, that determines how many Liberals, how many NDP, how many New Party A and how many New Party B and how many Greens and so on. That's the province-wide result. We are in a completely different system right now. We're in a system of 87 elections where 87 separate communities determine who their representative will be. Mm -hmm. And they look at that person for their community leadership. Quite often they're former mayors, quite often they've run a store, they might have been the kid's soccer coach. And yes, they look at your political party. But all of those factors. To the PR people, there's only one factor that matters and that's why they keep this mantra of 40% meaning this and 40% meaning that. Because the only thing that matters to them is the vote that the political parties get. This was to my point earlier. We'll have some under mixed member, for example. We'll have some people directly elected. We'll get rid of a whole bunch of those directly elected and we'll replace them with political party puppets who have no purpose except to be accountable to their parties. Okay, so Maria, yes. I'll give you a chance to respond yeah. to that, but I also want to throw in a question. Sure. My have a long list of business-related sure. questions. And that would be, Suzanne mentioned earlier the element of cost, and she argues mm -hmm. that PR means taxes, taxes, taxes. You also threw out a dollar figure associated with the idea of policy lurch, so I'm hoping mm -hmm. you can answer in wrap somewhere into your answer, address the idea of how much PR might cost or which political system ultimately costs taxpayers more. Well, I mean, I think that really depends on what kind of governments you elect. Governments have different ideas about how much to tax, who to tax, and how to spend the, that, that, that money. Um, and I think that varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. But what, it, what we're guaranteed under proportional representation is that the decisions that government makes are reflective of the overall will of the electorate. And so I think that, again, you know, I can cite more statistics around uh, lower corporate tax rates in their, in their pro rep uh, jurisdictions, um, more liberal free trade policies. Um, so I don't think there is, there is something particular to proportional representation that necessarily means higher taxes. I think that one of the things we do see, there's a number of Scandinavian countries um, that use proportional representation. Culturally, their approach to taxation is quite different than what ours might be here. And so sometimes those countries, I think, might skew some of the, the data around um, how much we tax um, based on um, a, an electoral system. I'm, I'm inclined to say our electoral system does actually not have much to do at all with how we tax. It's actually government decisions around, again, who to tax, how much to tax, and how to spend that money. But whether the government is making those decisions based on a narrow group of the electorate, or whether they're making those decisions amongst the majority of the electorate is, I think, an, a very important distinction. But can I just speak to the 87 different elections and the, the, this notion of all of these independent MLA, we elect 87 different MLAs and they go to the legislature and all do their thing. 
in the last party case, members. They are party members. Party members, and they're 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 there to vote alongside their parties. In the last 8,500 votes in the legislature, five of them were offside with their party, were independent votes. We see federally when a, when an MP, I mean, we see this provincially as well, but there's more in, um, instances of it federally. When an MP chooses to cross the floor, there's almost always an outcry from the public that that, that, that MP should go back to the electorate. The reason being, the voters that voted for that MP voted for them because of the party that they were running for. Only not partially. Just, no, that is an of, incorrect statement. Not just because of who they are independently. With proportional representation, particularly with um, both MMP and RUP, we actually have the option of more voter choice. So what I would say in terms of being able to elect an independent or somebody in your community, somebody you know that's done good work in your community, maybe you really like them, but you don't like the party they run for or the leader of that party, right now you don't have a choice. But your vote for that person is a vote for that party leader. Under proportional representation, you could split that vote. You could vote for that local candidate. You could also vote for a different political party. And it provides you with more choice and a more range of options about how you're actually represented. I don't buy the notion that political parties don't have fundamental control over a political process right now. And, and you see that in the behavior of the MLAs in the legislature. Very, very few of them speak out against their leader, and those that do are often kicked out of caucus and, and pay the price electorally in other ways. Do you want to respond? I think if you want to see how first past the post works in terms of parties supporting their leader, go, go follow British politics right now, which is a, an interesting exercise in that. Look, people are elected for all kinds of different reasons, but it is the collective will of the voters that chooses the government. It's the collective will of those 87 elections that's chosen our government in British Columbia. You know, you can cite all these OECD statistics about taxes and so on. What matters is what's going on here in British Columbia right now. And in British Columbia, our economic situation is excellent. Now, the new the Premier, the NDP, has been putting some new taxes in. They will face the electors with those in a couple of years. And again, to this undemocratic message of the proportional representation people around what they call policy lurch and what I call voter choice, first of all, I think it's way over, first of all, it's way overstated. And, and secondly, it's an undemocratic thing to say that voters shouldn't be able to choose a different course for their government. They've done that on Ontario. But when you even look, look at British Columbia as an example, the, 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 the NDP, the NDP railed against Site C. They railed against the LNG. I mean, it's always kind of funny when you see these things in the change of government. And yet, where are we? We still have Site C. We still have LNG. Those were major, major projects. There was a threatened policy lurch, and I agree it was a little bit rocky for a few weeks, but in fact, they are enthusiastically endorsing LNG right now, which is extremely beneficial to British Columbia. They have endorsed Site C, perhaps slightly reluctantly, but I would argue as well, Site C clean energy is also extremely um, good for British Columbia. So I think the policy lurch is overstated, and what it is really saying is we know best voters, you don't, you don't get to change our policies when you change government, because we're going to be so clever in all our, our coalition governments. It is not turning out that way. You look around the world. What it's really saying is that we actually think government should be making decisions based on the will of the majority of the electorate, not just the 37, 38, 39 percent of voters who elected a government. 
Okay, we are almost out of time, so I figure what we can do now is provide an opportunity for some closing remarks, and I'll put, I'll frame it in a, in a business-related context. We'll start with Suzanne, because Maria had the first introductory remark, and we'll end with Maria. Uncertainty is such a big topic, and it's a really important one to businesses, particularly in our current, you could argue, provincial, national, and global political climate. How does the system you support help address or eliminate uncertainty? And second to that, why should businesses vote in your favor during this round? Well, taxes, taxes, taxes. If people love taxes, they should vote for proportional representation because governments cost more, you get these MLAs that cost more, and then you get these in, this instability of government. So that always costs people money, that, that inability to make decisions. Our first-past-the-post majoritarian system leads to very stable governments. We had a stable Liberal government, the NDP government was perhaps a little less stable because the vote was more even, but, but nonetheless they have authority to make the decisions that they make. The voters at the end of the election period get to pass judgment on those decisions. That is the fundamental accountability built into our system. We are not solving a problem in British Columbia. Every government, be the NDP or BC Liberal, wants to help businesses because we all understand how important it is for businesses to thrive. We're not helping businesses by bringing in a system to British Columbia which causes instability of government and raises taxes. That's not helping anybody. BC is one of the most stable, prosperous jurisdictions on the planet Earth. Low unemployment, high employment, good diversification of industry, strong businesses, let's keep it that way. Let's not invite these foreign government systems into BC and these foreign problems. Look around the world, Sweden right now, hopeless. We don't need to bring that into British Columbia. Let's keep the stable and successful government that we have right now. Stick with the current system, our first past the post system. Thank you for that. Maria, twofold, again, how can PR address the issue of uncertainty? And second, why should businesses consider proportional representation? Okay, thank you. Well, I think the, one of the sensitivities of a winner-take-all system is, as I, is, as I mentioned, the ability for a very small um, uh, change in voter preference to yield a very big change in, in government. And, and with that comes uncertainty and, and instability. Um, PR systems are better equipped to deal with broad-based policy development that, that, that is longer-lasting and that has a longer-term longer, longer -term focus. I fundamentally disagree with pro-rep means more taxes. There is nothing you know, in any countries that indicate that. Yes, there we are, is. We are, Lots of stats around that. Well, you want to, you, you're very selective about wanting to look at other jurisdictions. Um, but what I will say is it's clear in the, in the regulations that the number of MLAs is not going to increase by more than 10%, if at all. It would depend on which system. So we may go up to 95 MLAs. Um, but what, we, what the trade-off is in terms of if we are spending more on government is what we are not spending undoing the previous um, administration's um, initiatives. So longer-term commitment to, to broad-based policy outcomes. And yes, we have a lot, we have a very good uh, economy here in BC, but there is a lot of things that are missing. There are a lot of, you know, again, growing inequality. The affordability crisis in the lower mainland is alarming, and it's a problem for everybody, regardless of what side of the, of the as a business owner or as, a, as an employee. And so I think the fact that these issues have gotten as out of control as they, as they are, does point as well to the need for consensus-based policy, politics, that looks holistically 
at our entire provinces and assures that the interests of the majority of British Columbians are, are the ones that they're taking into consideration when implementing policy going forward. Thank you. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have now. But Maria, Suzanne, thank you both for coming. Thanks, Andy. Pleasure. This. Thank you. Both of them and their colleagues are on the road over the next couple of weeks talking all about electoral reform. And anyone looking for any information about the referendum, your ballot, etc., you can go to elections.bc.ca. Thanks again for joining us.